Genesis chapter 20, we are continuing through the life of Abraham. And Abraham's life, just like a lot of us, it has a lot of highs with the Lord. And it also has a lot of lows with the Lord. And this, unfortunately, is one of those lows. Uh, We see Abraham, he makes a mistake that he is accustomed to, that we have seen him make. Uh, Later on, we'll look at Genesis chapter 12. It's almost the exact same thing that takes place. And you would think Abraham... As he's walked with the Lord, Abraham, as he's seen Jesus face to face, as he's broke bread with Jesus, as he's broke bread with angels, and that dude's never going to sin ever again, right? He's never going to make a mistake. He's never going to falter. Some of us could think, man, he's almost 100 years old already. Can you even sin at 100 years old, right? Is that even possible, right? And Abraham is still sinning. He's still messing up. He's still having to fight the flesh and make decisions based on the Lord and not based on fear. And then if we have time, we'll look real quick at a little bit of the first verses in chapter 21. We'll be reminded that the promises of God, they are not based on us. The promises of God, they're based on the Lord and his goodness, his providence, his grace and his mercy. But let's read verses 1 through 3. It tells us, now Abraham journeyed from there towards the land of Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur, and then he sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken For she is married. We're not told exactly why Abraham took this journey. Why in the world did Abraham leave the Oaks of Mamre, a place where he met with Jesus, a place where he met with the angels, a place where he had a beautiful view of the valley and Sodom and Gomorrah. Why in the world did he move away? Listening to a teacher, it's very true that Most of us, if we're honest, we have a problem with temptation finding us. Temptation always finds us. We always get that bad driver that cuts us off. We always have the lazy coworker that we have to put a project together with. We're put in the group project with a group that's not going to pass the semester. We're put in bad situations all the time. And what he says is we need to be careful not to add to our temptations. Not to be going down paths leading to more and more temptation. For temptation is going to find us on its own. And here we see Abraham moving without a command from the Lord. We don't see him building one of those altars to the Lord to sacrifice to him. We don't see him seeking the Lord. And whenever we see Abraham making decisions without seeking the Lord, he always gets himself into trouble. He always makes a mistake. It always leads to consequences. When we make decisions based on fear and not on the fear of the Lord, it always leads to consequences. It always leads to problems. It always leads to regret. And this is the same thing that we're going to see here with Abraham. Again, we get here in verse 2 right away. He says, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Could you imagine the face of Sarah, right? 
She must have looked at him like, we're really going to do this again? Really? We're really going to do this again? In Genesis chapter 12, verse 11 through 13, if you want to go there, we'll read. And the last time that Abraham went to a different country, to a different land, he had the same spiel, right? He had the same uh, con. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 11... It tells us, it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Old habits, they die hard. Old habits are tough to break, but we know through the Lord we can break them and we can get through it. The difficult thing for us to process here with Abraham is at least in chapter 12, Abraham was faced with a difficulty. There was a famine in the land. There was no food anywhere. People were hungry, so he went to what was natural. He went down to Egypt where they had the Nile River, where they had the Nile Delta, where there would be crops there no matter how great the famine but again, family, here in chapter 20, there's no reason for Abraham to move. I almost feel like he just got bored and nothing new was happening. So he thought that he needed to move. He needed to create change in his life instead of waiting on the Lord to hear from him. In Genesis chapter 4, 6 through 7, God is speaking to Cain before he goes out and kills his brother Abel. And he tells him, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? For if you do well, will you not be accepted? Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Family, we must master sin. We need to be the ones directing our lives and leading our lives based on the Lord, based on his word, and based on the Holy Spirit. If we make our decisions in life based on fear, the fear of this world, the fear of men, what are people going to think about us, what's going to happen, as this, this terrible thing is going to happen to me, we're going to make bad decisions. It's only when we make decisions in seeking the Lord and being overcomers and being filled with the Spirit that the Lord is going to be able to continue to bless us. And we're going to be that man in Psalm 1 that whatever we do, it prospers because we are in the will of the Lord. We must master sin. Sarah, at this point, she's in her 90s. She's in her 90s and Abraham's still saying, honey, we got to be careful. Those other men are going to want you and they're going to want to kill me, right? What kind of moisturizer was she using, right? What was, her, what was her routine, right? What was her Instagram makeup routine, right? Let me show you guys what's going on. But Sarah, she still is obedient to her husband. She doesn't blow him out of the water. She doesn't say, you fool, you moron, what in the world is wrong with you? We've already been through this. We've done that. Later on, we see that she goes along with her husband's con and with his lie. But Abraham's decision-making, it was based on the fear of man. He was afraid, hey, what are they going to do to me? The next thing his decision was based on was fear for his own life. He didn't want to get hurt. Who cares about my wife? She'll be okay, but I'm going to die, right? That's what he was afraid of. That's what he was concerned with. 
And finally, he was concerned more with his own wit, thinking that, hey, I can con better than God can protect. Hey, I can lie better than God can sustain me. David Guzek, he points out a great fact. Age does not automatically sanctify us. Unless you're yielded to the Spirit of God, we will repeat in our old age the sinful patterns of our youth. Right? Abraham is almost 100 years old. I don't know if anybody here is 100 years old. It's probably difficult to get out of bed at 100 years old, right? Much less falling into sin and lying and cover up. And yet Abraham, he still needed to fight his flesh. He still needed to die to his sins. So again, family, may we be already walking in the fear of the Lord, in the spirit of the Lord, in the discipline of the Lord, so that we do not have to repeat our same sin over and over and over again. Abraham, just as he had fallen before, he sought more to protect himself than protecting his own wife or even protecting the reputation of the Lord. He was seeking first and foremost, how do I not get hurt? What feels the best for me? What do I want? What's going to feel good to me in all of this? Husbands, hopefully you know Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. It tells us, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, hopefully you know the way that you love your wife as Christ loved the church is to die. Actually to die. And the wives may say, yes, no, that's not good, right? That's not good. Ken Graves, he was with us at the Young Adultery Tree over the weekend. And he gave some great insight and wisdom to the young men during our breakout. He said, husbands, men, you will either die or you will kill. You will either die to yourself or you will kill everyone around you that you love. And men, we must choose to die to ourselves. Die to our own flesh, die to our own feelings, die to our own emotions, because if not, we're going to be killing our wives. We're going to be killing our kids. We're going to be killing the people that we love around us. And he mentioned so many different pastors that they've fallen, they didn't die to themselves, they went into sin, they went full force, and now everyone's hurting. Their wives, their kids, the churches, the congregations. So men, we must choose to die to ourselves. We need to. Dying to ourselves, it's just a part of the sanctification process as a believer. And ladies, don't think you're off the hook. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. What we're going to learn is that dying to yourself is just being a Christian. It's just being a believer. It's being someone who thinks and believes and trusts that they're going to heaven We must constantly, each and every day, be dying to ourselves. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 21. I love Jesus. He always teaches us by example. It says, but he warned them and he instructed them not to tell anyone this, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses 
or forfeits his soul. Family is just a part of being a Christian. Each and every day, it's telling our feelings, our emotions, you don't matter. What does God say? Feelings and emotions, that doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? My friends, even sometimes my family members, my coworkers, doesn't matter what they think of me, doesn't matter what they say of me. What does the Bible say? This is just a part of being a believer. In Galatians 2.20, it's a famous verse, right? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Family, the reason why we need to die to ourselves is because Christ died for us. It's pretty simple, right? That's the whole reason why we need to constantly be setting aside our emotions, our fears, our desires, our wants, and be focused on the Lord. And what we're going to look at later is we need the Lord really to change our hearts, to change our minds. Because sometimes we can change our outward appearance. We can change for a little bit our behavior. But over time, our heart will once again take over and start driving things once again. And that's why we need to ask the Lord, Lord, renew my mind. Father, give me a new heart. And then we need to do our part to really live in that truth. Again, family, dying to ourselves is just a part of the sanctification process as believers. The sweet thing that we're going to see here in Genesis chapter 20 is the Lord still protects Sarah even though Abraham's being a bonehead, right? The Lord still protects her. Abraham goes through with it. He gives his wife to Abimelech, king of Gerar. And in verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. Talk about a bad dream, right? God comes to you in the middle of the night and says, Zach, you are a dead man. right? Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. And now Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. In 1 Peter chapter 3, if you're quick, we can turn there. And Peter, he's speaking to the wives on how they are to live in subjection to their husbands. And it's in a manner that they can give glory to the Lord no matter how their husbands are behaving. 1 Peter chapter 3, it tells us in verse 1, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair, wearing of gold, jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. 
For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in understanding as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. To sum it all up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Again, this is how God has designed marriage. The husband needs to submit to the Lord and love his wife as Christ loved the church. And now the wife, as she submits to the Lord, continues to submit to the husband. This is the way the Lord created it. And even Sarah, as her husband's making boneheaded moves, is still trusting in God. Still trusting in the Lord, saying, Lord, you're the one that's going to protect me. You're the one that's going to do something out of this man. In this day and age, it's important for us to talk about that there are certain, in a sense, limits to this. That if you're afraid for your life, if you're afraid for the lives of your kids, it may be a time where you need to separate and seek the Lord and seek proper counseling. Because he's definitely not loving you as Christ has loved the church. Right? The church shouldn't be afraid of Christ. That'd be a pretty messed up church. So same in marriages, right? For the kids, for the wife, for the husband, that we would be living in harmony, as it tells us, seeking the Lord. Not divorcing just because he's making a dumb mistake or he's just focused on himself or he's spending so much time in his hobbies. For him not to be just all about his hobbies and about himself and making dumb mistakes, right? It's both man and woman submitted to the Lord, seeking his will For their lives. Back in Genesis chapter 20, King Abimelech, right, he's freaking out. He's woken up in the middle of a dream that God is telling him, Hey, Abimelech, you are a dead man. And the Lord comes to him, he tells him this, but he's able to talk with God, and the Lord sees Abimelech's heart. Back in chapter 20, Abimelech's able to tell him, Lord, it's in the integrity of my heart, I didn't know. He told me that that was his sister. She told me that he was her brother. Lord, I didn't know. And the Lord, he saw the integrity of Abimelech's heart. And now the Lord keeps Abimelech from sinning even greater than that. Right? He did it without knowing. And sometimes we can just tell the Lord, Lord, help me not to sin anymore. But we don't do anything about it. Right? We don't do anything on our part. Lord, this group of friends, they always bring me down. They always hurt me. I'm always prone to party and drink. So, Lord, help me and strengthen me as I go on a 14-day cruise with them, God. Help me not to fall, right? (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. We need to do our part. There needs to be true integrity in our heart that, Lord, I want to do right by you, Father. Lord, I want to do right by you. As David would say, Lord, forgive me of even sin that I don't realize that I'm doing. That's what our heart needs to be not. Lord, I pray you help me, forgive me, but I'm not going to change a single thing in my life. Lord, just pick me up with your magic carpet and keep me from sin. It's not going to work that way. Our God, he is a gentleman. He's a gentle God. He's a great God. So we need to want it. We need to want to do right by him. We need to want to seek him, to love him, to care for him. Again, just like in that marriage, there should be love, there should be agape love. But if one never 
changes their heart, if one never changes their actions to prove their love, is that really a marriage? Is that really a good relationship? We need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do for you. You gave your life for me, Lord. I'm willing to give you absolutely anything and everything. And the Lord, he warns him before he sins, just like the Lord family always warns us, always gives us a way out of the temptation. And notice the Lord, he calls Abraham a prophet. He doesn't say, hey, there's my bonehead, there's my dummy, there's my slacker, there's my mess up. The Lord doesn't say any of those things. He says, he is a prophet. And the Bible is so good to us. It doesn't hide the sins and the mistakes of these spiritual giants. It shows it to us. It reveals it to us. And the Lord showing us that all men are capable of sin. All women are capable of sin. We need to be steadfast, always abounding, always seeking the Lord. It also points to the fact that the Lord is still gracious and merciful. He didn't cut off Abraham. He didn't say, hey, the promise is done. I'm not going to make a great nation out of you. You've backstabbed me twice. You've forgotten about me twice. You're a terrible example to these kings who aren't even believers. No, the Lord still calls him a prophet. He still seeks him. He's still going to fulfill the promise in chapter 21. And then the Lord in verse 7 warns Abimelech. But if you do not restore her, you Know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. You got a deal, God, right? I'll give her back to you. I don't want to die. I don't want everyone I love to die. So, Lord, I will restore her back to you. Sounds like a no-brainer. But family, for us, we're given the same exact warning, right? The wages of sin is, is death. And the Lord, he gives us the same warning. Hey, don't go down that route. If you go down that route, you're going to die. And everyone you love, they're going to die. Right? Same thing with Abraham, with Abraham, with Adam and Eve. Don't eat from that tree, for you shall surely die. And they still go for it. They still go down that path, family. We have the same path, the same choice. Either obey the Lord, or we will die that slow death. Especially for the husbands, especially for the men here. We need to put that to death, put our lives to death, and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Verse 8. So Abimelech arose early in the morning, and he called all his servants, and he told these things in their hearing, and all the men were greatly frightened, right? God told you you were a dead man, and we're all dead men. What is going on? Verse 9, then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you have done this thing? Right? What is your focus on? What are you viewing that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Family, we should pay attention to Abimelech here. He arose early in the morning. God warned him, warned him of potential sin warned him of a potential problem and he didn't say lord let me give it another 24 hours lord let me pray about it lord let me see what i should do no right away he wakes up in the morning and he does what the lord obeyed him to do and how sad is it for abraham to have a pagan king calling him out 
a pagan king has to call him out and say, man, why have you brought this on me and my kingdom? Why are you bringing great sin into my kingdom? What are you doing? And it's so sad to see the father of our faith, the friend of God in sin and in the wrong, and yet this pagan king from a foreign land is the one being right and obedient to the Lord. But haven't we all been there? Haven't we been there when a coworker or a classmate or a friend says, aren't you a Christian? You do these things, right? I thought you guys didn't do this stuff. I thought you guys didn't participate in these things. Family, may we not shoot the messenger. May we just say, wow, Lord, you're using even an unbeliever to bring me back to you. Lord, you're using a text to bring me back to you. Lord, you're using my parents to bring me back to you. Lord, you're using my kids to bring me back to you. May we turn to the Lord when he convicts us. Whether we like the messenger or not, may we say, Lord, what are you trying to speak to me through here? Abimelech, he asked him, what did you have in view? What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abraham got into trouble because he made his choice. He made his decision. He had set up his plans based on his fears and on what he thought, what he felt. He did not base his choice his decisions, his plans based on what the Lord had told him or what the Lord had promised him. He thought that there was no fear of God in Abimelech's kingdom, but truly, Abraham was the one lacking in the fear of the Lord. He was the one that wasn't making his decisions based on communicating with God and speaking with God. God had to speak to a pagan king to save Abraham, to save Sarah, and to continue his promise of this nation that would be as much of as people as sand on the sea. And family, we do the same thing. I do the same thing. I tend to trust in the Lord in these great, huge steps of faith that I can't really see. Has anyone here ever seen heaven? Anybody here ever seen hell? I hope not, right? I don't think so. But yet we trust in the Lord. We say, hey, when you die, where are you going to go? Hey, I'm going to heaven. The Lord, he has my eternal security. He's taking care of me. He's going to be there. He's going to take me to heaven when I die. But then when we have to drive in Miami, what happens, right? Lord, you can't get me through this, Lord. I don't know if this is going to happen. Something terrible is going to happen. I'm going to die, right? Or whatever it may be. I can't go to church more than once a week. My whole life is going to fall apart. I need to sleep. I'm going to die if I go to church more than once a week, right? That retreat, I can't take time off of work. I don't have the money for that. I can't do that. And we trust the Lord in these monumental, universal things for all of eternity. Yet in the small, tiny things, we go based on our emotions. We go based on our fears. I can't, take, I can't keep my kid from those other kids. What's going to happen? They're not going to like me. They may hate me. We need to trust in the Lord and go based on his word, not based on our feelings or emotions or our thoughts, right? He says that his thoughts, they're not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We need to follow him and trust in him. Verse 12, 11 and 12. Sadly, we see Abraham, like many of us, like me, that when someone says, hey, you did this wrong. Hey, Zach, you messed up here. What had happened was, right, what I was really thinking, oh, I'm sorry. I did that because I was thinking that this and this was going to happen. So that is why I did that. How often when someone calls us out, do we just say, man, I'm sorry, I totally blew it. I fell into sin because of me, 
because I was not obedient to the Lord instead of putting the blame on anyone and everyone else, right? Abraham says, because I thought surely there's no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is actually my sister, right? She's my half-sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house. And I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Sadly, we don't see Abraham repenting here. We don't just see him falling on his knees and saying, I'm sorry, man. I sinned against you. I sinned against the Lord. But instead, Abraham, just like me, he gives a ton of excuses and reasoning behind his sin. Right? Oh, it's because my parents, the way they raised me, it's because of the neighborhood I grew up in. It's because I grew up in America and this is just the way that I am, right? It's because he cut me off, so then I had to do this. No, we just need to repent. We just need to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. It was my fault. I messed up. Dr. Donald Barnhouse, he tells us, Abraham should have said, forgive me, Abimelech, for dishonoring both you and my God. My selfish cowardice overwhelmed me, and I denied my God by fearing that he who called me could not take care of me. He is not as your gods made of wood and stone, but he is the God of glory. He is the living God, the creator and the most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He told me he would be my shield and my exceedingly great reward and the supplier of all my needs. And in in sinning against him, I sinned against you. Forgive me, Abimelech. What a beautiful chance and opportunity he had to give God the glory and to apologize. And that's something as believers we need to remember. Some believers say, oh, I blew my witness because I did this or that. I told my mother-in-law off, so now I blew my witness, right? I can never speak to them about the Lord. I blew my witness at work. I said a four-letter word, and man, now they're never going to forgive me. I can never invite them to church ever again. No, just apologize. Apologize to them and apologize to the Lord, and the Lord can still use that. The Lord can still use you and apologize and say, hey, I was wrong here. I sinned against you. I sinned against the Lord. Will you forgive me? And many believers, we mess around with these little white lies, right? He's saying, hey, King Abimelech, it was just a half lie. He's my half-sister, so it's like half a truth. But a half-truth is what? It's a total lie. It's a complete lie. And that's what Abraham's doing here. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And a reminder for us where our focus needs to be, where our hearts need to be. We need to continue to ask the Lord for that heart transplant, reading his word, seeking his word to change us and renew us so that we will be changed from the inside out. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, it gives us again the focus on the Lord. And then in verse 25 through 31, it's going to show us how we need to change and our lives will change as a result of being focused on Christ. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Christ, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. 
Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not greet and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Family, lying is a part of our old nature, of our old self. We as believers, we shouldn't be lying we shouldn't be gossiping. We shouldn't be slandering. We shouldn't be lazy. We shouldn't be constantly looking for handouts. We shouldn't be stealing. We shouldn't be doing any of these things. But these things won't happen unless we put on the likeness of Christ. Unless we come to the Lord and say, I was wrong. I am sorry. I messed up. You were right. Will you change my heart, Lord? I vow to live the rest of my life following your word no matter the cost. No matter the price. And here Abraham, he's telling his little white lies, his little half-truths. But we must not do so. We need to be careful with our mouths. Right? The Bible warns us that that little tiny member, that little tiny tongue, it starts wars. It starts battles. It starts problems. It talks about a giant cruise ship and what moves the cruise ship, what directs it, that little tiny rudder. And that's what moves this giant barge anywhere and everywhere. And the same is true of us. How many marriages end because the husband or wife cannot control that little tongue? How many people have we heard? How many times have we been fired because we can't control that little tongue? How many spankings did we get? How many punishments did we get because we couldn't control that little tongue? We need to continue to ask the Lord, Lord, renew me, work in me, help me control my mouth. Sarcasm. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Cutting each other down, making fun of each other, and we do that in our Hispanic culture, right? If I love you, I make fun of you. That's just the way that I love you, right? That's when you really know that I love you. We need to be so careful that when we speak, it would edify, it would build up, it would strengthen the body of believers. We go back, Genesis chapter 20, verse 14. It tells us, Abimelech then took sheep and oxen, male and female servants, and he gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother, I wonder if he was being sarcastic, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you and before all men you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. It's interesting, and I had never 
pulled this out of the text before, that Abraham, he's willing to receive these gifts from Abimelech from Gerar. He was also willing to accept the gifts from Pharaoh in Egypt when he messed up as well. But if you remember, when he went out to battle to save his nephew Lot, when the king of Sodom wanted to give him gifts, he said, no, I don't want the glory to go to any man. I want everyone to know the glory, the money, the sheep, the oxen, the servants I have are all because of the Lord. And David Guzik, he says, he wanted no one to think a man had made him rich. But here, because of Abraham's compromise, he found it hard to reclaim the same high moral ground. Family, we give ourselves too much credit. We think, hey, I can just watch one more episode and then another and I'll know when to stop. Don't worry, I'll know when to stop. I'm just going to give a little bit into this vice, but don't worry, I'll know when to stop. I'm going to go on this lunch break with my secretary, but don't worry, I'll know when to stop. I'll know when to say when. I'm just going to have one drink or two, but don't worry, I will know when to stop. And we give ourselves too much credit because once we go down the path of sin, are you really going to be able to say stop? Because Abraham here, once he went down that path, he wasn't all of a sudden able to say, no, my conviction because of the Lord doesn't let me have the seventh drink, right? My conviction to the Lord, I know I just lied like crazy through my teeth, but my conviction to God says, hey, I can't accept the gifts that you're giving me. It's really difficult to do that. All the more reason why we need to be the one to take control over our sins, over our flesh, and say, Lord, I need you to save me, forgive me, fill me with your spirit, and now, Lord, give me discipline to not go down this path, to not even open the door, right? Joseph, his whole time in Potiphar's home, he was constantly telling Potiphar's wife the same thing. Hey, I'm the one in charge here. But I can't sin against my God. I'm the one in charge here, but I can't sin against my God. I'm the one in charge here, but I can't sin against my God. And now when she grabs him, what does he do? He just runs. He had made up in his mind what he was already going to do. Joseph didn't sit there and say, okay, we'll just have a little me time, right? We'll just have a dinner, but you sit over there and I'll sit over here. Let's see what happens. I'll trust myself to stop. No, he ran from sin from the very beginning. And it's sad here that Abraham, he's not able to hold the same standard because he's already on the bottom. Abimelech is the one that's acting more like a believer than he is. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, it tells us, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. And so Sarah conceived and she bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Verse 2, it tells us, at the appointed time which God had spoken to him. And family, we struggle with God's timing, don't we? We struggle with God's timing. Lord, I've been saved for a week, right? What's happening? What's going on? Where's my spouse? Where's my job? Where's the house? Where's the new car? Where's the boat I've been praying for? Lord, what's going on? Nothing's changing. Nothing's happening. It's been 25 years since Abraham and Sarah first received that promise from God. And in those 25 years, they had been faithful, but they had been faithless. In those 25 years, they had been a great example of a believer. And they also had been a terrible example of a believer. Yet the Lord fulfilled his promise. What had Abraham done to receive this promise? 
Nothing, right? In chapter 20, he basically did the exact opposite of what was needed to receive this promise. He gave his wife up to another man to get married. And yet the Lord remains faithful. Abraham had blown it, but yet the Lord did not cut him off. He didn't get another man to create the promise. Family, the grace and mercy of God, they truly are incredible. But yet we must be careful to not abuse them or take advantage of them. We have to be so careful. And as believers, many times we just abuse the grace and mercy of God. If you're ever on one of those highway overpasses, right, and you start going up, you get to see these beautiful heights. There's these concrete, like two or three feet, right, and there's a little wall, and that protects you from falling off the edge. Do you think that wall can keep your car from falling off the edge? I think so. But you're not going to find me driving on the highway, right, and seeing sparks going. Hey, I want to see if this can hold my car, right? How long can this hold my car? That's abusing the grace and mercy of the Lord. We think, hey, it's just a little sin. I haven't fallen off yet. The concrete has held me this far, right? It'll continue to hold. We don't know when we're passing the line of favor with God to now fighting against God. We don't know where that line is. That line is just invisible out there. And we see it through different Bible characters. We see it in the life of Saul, right? We even see Judas. He's three years with Jesus and it's later on when Everything happens. You see it through different kings, different kingdoms of men that had given promises to God. God had given the promises. They were filled with the spirit. The Lord had done so much. You look at Samson. He thought he was going to get up just like every other time. Family, may we not abuse the grace and mercy of God. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. May we love him for that. May we try to do right for him because of how great and kind and merciful he has been to us. And now they call this baby, they call him Isaac, which is laughter. Again, can you imagine the parent-teacher meetings, right? This little kid shows up and oh, we got to meet with your parents. Did you find these people on Craigslist, right? There's no way they're your parents, right? A 100-year-old and a 90-year-old give birth to you. There's no way these are your parents, kid. Where are they at, right? Tough life for Isaac when he gets into those arguments with other boys. My dad could beat up your dad. Probably, man. My dad's 100 years old, right? Give him, give him some slack. Give him some credit. And they call him laughter. And again, what the enemy meant for evil, Sarah laughing in the face of God, really saying that she was going to be pregnant. Now it's joyful. She's so joyful at the promises and the blessings of God. Verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. And this is the difficult thing. It's so hard for this family because they didn't do family according to Scripture. Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, they had made their own mishmash. Of what they thought family should look like. And the same is true for us. When we try to do family outside the will of God. When we try to do sex outside the will of God. When we try to do leadership or power or raising kids. Anything outside the will of God. It gets messy. It gets messy and there's consequences and there's difficulty. And there's broken hearts. And there's tough decisions. You can feel for Ishmael, right? He's had his dad all to himself for the last 14, 15 years. It's just been Ishmael and Abraham, a dad in his old age. 
playing together, hanging out together. Scripture tells us that he loved Ishmael. And yet now this is kind of rough, but this 15-year-old, this 17-year-old is mocking and making fun of this 3-year-old or 5-year-old. And now he's faced with a decision. And then Sarah tells him, hey, you got to get her out. You got to get Hagar out and you got to get Ishmael out. Because they cannot be with Isaac. They're not going to be the heir. Isaac is going to be the heir. And again, family, God is gracious and he's merciful. But many times we still need to deal with the consequences of our sins. We still need to deal with that more often than not. Sometimes his grace, as it tells us, is super abundant. And he cares for us. He lessens the impact. But lots of times we still need to deal with it. And even as Ishmael is persecuting Isaac and mocking him here. We know that his descendants mock the people of Israel even till today. And we can turn to Galatians chapter 4. And what it's going to show us is that people who think that they're Christians, who live in religiosity, they will mock true believers. They will mock, they will fight with true Christians because they think they get to heaven because of their works or because of the way they live, or because of the way they know, or what they know, instead of just saying, man, it's the grace of God. I'm just abiding with him. I'm just hanging with him, and he's the one that's going to care for me. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, it tells us, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, two promises, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. And now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Spirit say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Family, we need to be careful. Our relationship with the Lord, what leads us to repentance, what gets us into heaven, it's not our flesh. It's not our flesh. And our flesh, it can take on many ugly heads. It could be we're just living a life of sin like crazy, and we say, hey, I raised my hand one time, so of course I'm saved. But there's no fruit in our life. We're not drawing anybody else to Christ. Living in the flesh, it could be that we're just super religious. You're holier than anybody else, but you're dead inside, right? As Jesus told the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but inside you're a bunch of dead bones. That could be us as well. But may we be seeking to live by the Spirit. May we be seeking to live through Jesus Christ. That's our promise into heaven. That's the heir of our salvation. That is the way we have a relationship and friendship with God. It's through the promise of Jesus Christ. 
So family, may that be what leads us, what drives us. May that drive our decision making. May that drive our sanctification. May that drive what our marriages and our relationships look like. May our love for Christ drive what we look like, our character, our morals, what we judge is right and wrong. May it be just all Jesus. 